Right. Good morning, High Desert Word Center. How are we doing this morning? Amen. Labor Day weekend. That means summer is coming in for a landing in Jesus' name, and we can just toss it behind us. <laughs> but praise God. Who could say that God has been good to you? Amen. Amen. God has been so good to us. He's blessed us so much this year, kept us through everything. And so, anyway, we've got a wonderful wonderful service today. We've got a baby dedication coming up. And so uh, we've had, uh, as you know, this has been the year of babies for High Desert Word Center. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be doing a dedicating a different baby each week. And so this morning we'll be starting off with little Seth Brady here in a few minutes. So we're excited about that. Amen. But I'm going to have Katie go over some announcements because we got plenty going on, man. We got, we got a lot of good stuff happening right now. Praise the Lord. Well, women's is this Friday, so don't forget about that. At the end of service, we'll get you some more information. Um, there is no service tonight, so no family night tonight. But on Tuesday, we are doing our homeschool co-op on Tuesday and Wednesday. So that starts this week. If you haven't registered yet, you still can. And you can register after the fact. And if you have some friends that you want to bring along, that's okay too. But I need to give you a few little details. You're also going to be getting an email about this as well. But we are going to ask that you come in the front entrance uh, because we want to make sure this back parking lot is car free so that the students can go back and forth from buildings without us having to get so concerned about safety. So I need for you to enter the front entrance and then also you're going to check in your students. So you're going to park, you're going to walk over to the office building directly across from here with the grass and trees and you're going to check them in so that we can have a roster of who is here. You're also going to pick them up from the front of the office building. So each of our sessions, they'll bring the students back to the front of the office building so that we can disperse them where they need to go after each session. Um, this coming Saturday is a very special memorial service for Miss Janet Wentz. So at one o'clock this Saturday, we would love it if we could show up as a church family and honor her. She has been a really big part of our family for years and years, and her family is getting together to just honor her and celebrate her life. So if you can make it this Saturday, we would love for you to be there at one o'clock Saturday, the 12th. Last and final announcement, Harvest Fest for our church family. That's a really big deal this year because how many of you know, for 15 years at this point, we've gotten together and we've worked really, really hard to celebrate the blessings of each year and to reach out to our community. And for a lot of us, what that means is we work really hard that night to show the love of God. And that is special and that is wonderful. But this year, our family gets to get together and not really work so hard. There's some work, but 
not near as much. And our kids get to ride the hayride and we get to play with them. So it's a really special time this year. And we'll be out at Pleasant View in Newberry, Pleasant View Farm at Pastor and Miss P's house. And we're going to get together and have some hayride and bounce house and just have a really, really good time on October 23rd. So make sure you've scheduled that day off. Make sure that you have it on your calendar or in your phone as a reminder, and we'll get together and celebrate all that God has done for us this year. Praise God. Very good. So we are pumped up about that. I know all the kids are excited because they thought they weren't going to get Harvest Fest this year, but we said, no, you are going to get it. Amen. We're going to bless those kids. Well, I'm going to go ahead at this time and I'm going to have Pastor and Mrs. Pastor come up and we're going to have the Brady family come up with little Seth Brady, Austin and Katie. Amen. And we're blessed because... uh his family is here from Ohio today and get to be with us for the baby dedication. And uh, as you guys, you guys know their testimony. Well, a lot of you do, not everybody does, but this is a very special, uh, day that we've all been waiting for for about seven years, I guess, seven or eight years for this moment. So we're excited to have this. And, uh, as a family, we're going to celebrate this baby and this family together because it took a lot to get right here, but Faith in Jesus made it happen, and this is a testimony of what releasing your faith can do, and we are so excited to have this little guy here, and we're going to celebrate together as a family, all right? Thank you, Jesus. What a blessed day this is. This is so awesome. These guys, these guys used a lot of faith for this little man to be on this earth, didn't they? Amen. We're so, we're, 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 we're so happy, so rejoiceful. Man, we stood with you guys for a long time to have this boy. And praise God for that. But, uh, in our church, we dedicate children to the Lord. We don't baptize them. We don't baptize them until they're old enough to know what they're doing, until they receive Jesus as their Savior, because that's what baptism is about, is that a person makes a personal decision. Little babies can't make decisions. And so we, we dedicate them to the Lord. And we're following the example of, of, uh, Mary and Joseph in Luke chapter two. They brought, they brought Jesus to the temple to dedicate him. And so that's what we do from the Bible. We, we dedicate him in the temple to the Lord. And so I, I want to, I want to speak to you, Robin, Brian, Amanda, and Michaela. You're here. We're happy you got to come this time. So I want to speak to you about the dedication because it's not just a baby dedication but it's a parent dedication to do right and the family too the parents grandparents uh, and siblings to do right to be the right example and do things for the children but psalms 127 verses 1 through 3 says that children are heritage of the lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward and you guys know that <laughs> amen because it took faith for this baby to come as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with enemies in the gate. I think about that, of uh, uh, Pastor Janice, and, and our lives, that we've, we've had a lot of children. And when you raise them right, and you train them in the ways of the Lord, it's so nice to know that they stand at the gate spiritually. And they stand with you. And they will pray for you. And I, 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 th- I think about you. You know, you got you got your son Austin, and he stands at the gate in prayer for you guys. He keeps you covered when they're raised right. 
And so I think about little Seth. Trade him right, and you got a warrior on your hands, you know. Praise God for Big Daddy Marine and tough Grandpa. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't make a difference how big you are physically in the spirit. When you're full of Jesus, you've been trained up right in the spirit, you're a warrior. And that's what Seth's going to be. And so children are a gift from the Lord. As soon as conception takes place, the child is formed. Life begins. And so, you know, Seth, what is it? Was he, how old is he now? Two months. That's what I thought. Well, t- two months today, but I, actually we know he's, he's, he's been known of God forever, but he's been around for 11 months. You know, nine months, nine, nine, nine months in the womb and now two months on this earth. So he's been here for a while. In third John verse four, The apostle said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And as parents, you hold your hands, his eternal destiny of heaven or hell. And so it's up to you what becomes of your child. Decisions you make or don't make about your own Christian walk will affect them and the decisions they make for or against Jesus for their entire lives or even eternity. Proverbs 22.6 says, Trade up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Now, I've been a pastor for a lot of years. I've watched families. I've watched grandparents. I've watched parents. I've watched children. And the children are going to imitate who they respect. And God puts, God puts a supernatural respect inside of little babies for their parents and grandparents and for family. And they grow up, they want to be just like dad. They want to be just like grandpa grandma are the big brothers, big sisters. So that's so important that we make right decisions day in and day out concerning each child. And so we've got to be led by the Holy Spirit in the way we lead them and what we do because every child's different. You know, we're all human beings. We're all created in the nature of God, but God wires is different. He's got different plans for different ones of us. So the main thing is the moral part. We got to set the right moral example in front of them, then they'll be able to hear from God about what to do with their life. And so children don't raise themselves. What example will you set before them? And you know, that's something that uh, I know my wife and I have eight children, and then now we have a lot of grandchildren. It's, we see things even more clear than what we ever did before, but when you're, when you're young and you're working a lot of hours, you're working things like that, sometimes you come home you get a lot of pressure on you, and then the old man tries to rise up. And so we have to be able to constantly be thinking, what's he seeing? What's he seeing? And, you know, that, that's really, that's really a, a good restraint on your life. You know, you think about the future of your children. So anyway, he's watching you, and he rejoices when you do right. His little spirit's going to mourn when you do wrong. And so the first thing is then, Austin and Katie... Have you both received Jesus as your personal Savior and made Jesus Lord of your life? Yes. Amen. Okay, will you commit to follow Jesus all the days of your life? You're never looking back. You're only going forward with Jesus. Are you going to be a disciple of his word and yield to the Holy Spirit to the best of your ability? Okay, then repeat after me. Heavenly Father. We dedicate Seth Patrick Brady to your service. We commit to bring him up by precept and example all the days of his life. 
we dedicate him this day to be all in life that you have chosen and planned as his divine destiny. We thank you for this precious gift that you've entrusted to our care. We ask for your wisdom and provision in bringing your plan and your purpose to pass in his life. In Jesus' name, amen. Family, gather around now. I want to, I want to, pray, for, I want to pray for all of you. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for this godly family, for this Christian, this Christian family. And Father, we know that from the sadness of the past, he's got a big brother in heaven watching down right now and so happy for it all. But Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you and praise you that you restore things, you make things right. And Lord, you heal, you heal the holes in our hearts, Lord, and cause us to be able to do all you want us to do, because we know heaven's real. And we know one day we'll all be in heaven rejoicing and seeing our loved ones that are there already. But Father, for this precious gift, I just want to thank you that Seth will be Seth. That Seth will walk in his own, in, in his own calling, his own gifting, what he's got. And Father, I know that he's not a replacement. He's just another son. And we just want to thank you that your anointing's on him. Is on his parents, his grandparents, Lord. And Lord, I want to thank you that we can always rejoice that there is a big brother in heaven already. But Lord, we're going to rejoice over Seth that everything, as his parents has already spoken out of their mouths to you, Lord, concerning his divine destiny, everything that you've gifted and called him to do will come to pass. Lord, because they know their covenant with you through the blood of Jesus, sickness, disease is not going to be a part of his life. Poverty and addiction will never touch him in Jesus' name. And Lord, I want to thank you. He's always going to make his dad and his mom, his grandparents, his, his, his aunts and his uncles, cousins. Everybody else is always going to be proud of the way Seth lives because dad and mom are going to do Proverbs 22.6. They're going to train him right. And you said, as he's growing older, he's not going to depart from him. He's going to stay on the path. We speak blessings and no curses. In the name of Jesus, Father, we just want to thank you for the glory of God on this family all the days of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen.
Thank you, Jesus. Hey, man, isn't, isn't that wonderful to be able to give, give a child a start in life like that? You know, it, it's sad to think about all the households around America and around the world where they got little babies right now. They're in drug-infested thug atmospheres and moms and dads laying around drunk this morning, hung over, and just all those horrible things. It's just so good to see Christians start their children off in the right path. I'll tell you what, uh, the Bible's true according to Proverbs 22, 6. You start them off right, you lead them right, you train them right. Your kids aren't going to be addicts or, or thugs or mean people. They're going to be Jesus people. And I got I got some great examples of the church to prove that. Look at my children. Amen. Look at the Kopi family back here. I just look, look at Donna. I just look at all the different families of this church here that raise their children right. And they don't have to worry about what their kids are doing. If their kids late getting home from somewhere, they'll have to be worried about, I wonder where they're at. They know they're following Jesus. Amen. Well, that's enough of that. What time is it, boys and girls? Happy time. Uh, ushers, whatever, the, I haven't even caught all the new procedures even yet. So where the procedures are, you need an envelope. Uh, they're sanitized, sterilized, sprayed on, and whatever else they do to make them whatever they are. But praise God for the anointing. Amen. Glory to God, we're anointing to have the glory of God. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And the longer I live, and the longer I follow Jesus, the more I know the value of the Word of God. The times we live in, you better know faith. And you know, I, I, I want to say it again, that... The United States government or your job cannot be your first source of security. Because unless things turn around with the way people manage money in this country, there's a possibility that your job might not be here this time a month from now even. You don't know. But Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus told us in Matthew 24, 35, He said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. God said in Isaiah 55, verse 11, my word will not return void. Amen. Mark 16, verse 20, Jesus said, I will confirm my word with signs following. And one word I think about as Christians is that when you tithe, the word of God says, you live under the open windows of heaven, God's blessings on you. Word of God says when you tithe, God rebukes the devourer for your sake. And Jesus said, I confirm my word. And so, no matter what happens with jobs, our governments, our pensions, or anything else, and I'm not, I'm not putting negative words out there. Faith doesn't deny things. Faith changes things. You have to deal with what's going on. The times we live in, it's really, really, really serious. But God's Word will always come to pass. When you act on God's Word, obey God's Word, God's Word will always work. And what God said, He will do if we hook up with Him. Faith pleases God. And in Mark chapter 11, verse 22 and 23, and I'm thinking about the financial faith confession we make all the time. I'm thinking about the Word of God we stand at concerning God, God's provision for our lives. Jesus said in verse 22, He said unto them, Have faith in God. He didn't say have faith in your pension, have faith in your paycheck, have faith in what you saved up. Have faith in the government taking care of your family. He said, have faith in who? 
God. And then he tells how to use your faith. For verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say, I'm a whosoever. Are you a whosoever? Okay, he's talking about our mouths. Whoever shall say unto this mountain, and the mountain is talking about big problems. And so if something happens, you come up with some big financial problems, some big problems with paying for things. Jesus said, you got to say to the mountain. Say to the mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Shall not doubt in his heart. i got to explain that to you why he said shall not doubt in his heart. How many know that you have a mind, you got a brain, you got a mind, and you got a spirit? Okay, when you got born again, your head didn't get saved. Your heart got saved. Faith comes from your heart when you believe in your heart. And when you're facing mountains of things you're looking at every day, you're seeing the problem, you're having, you're having th- debt pile up, things starting to happen. Jesus said you speak to the mountain and you don't doubt in your heart. Faith will always work from your heart, even if your mind's been attacked with doubt. Amen. It is really hard to keep doubt out of your head, but you don't get it in your heart. And what I've always done when facing crisis, I always get to a quiet place. I read the Bible and I close my eyes to kind of focus on Jesus and let my spirit take control. And when I do, I pray the word of God. I speak the word of God and I say, Jesus, you know how my head's been hit right now. The Lord is not in my heart. I believe in my heart that you're going to do whatever it is I need done. And Jesus said that when you speak to that mountain, said you don't doubt in your heart. So I want to say it again. Just because your head and your emotions are being hit because the pressures of life, Jesus didn't say anything at all about your head. He said your heart. And so you just tell your head, shut up in Jesus' name. I'm listening to my heart. It says, shall not doubt in his heart. But look at this. But shall believe that those things which he saith. You can't just think it. You gotta say what you believe God's doing for you. You gotta say what God said about your money. You gotta say what God said about, about your finances, about your equipment, about your vehicles, about food, about your children, your grandchildren. You got, you got, you gotta be saying it. He says, shall believe those things he saith. He shall have whatsoever he saith. He shall have whatsoever he saith. You will have Whatsoever you saith. The other day, I was talking to a man who was doing some service for me, and uh, it became obvious he wasn't a Christian, and that's why we witnessed to him. But he said, "How's the world treating you?" <clears throat> as soon as he said that, I didn't even think. My heart took over my mouth. I said, "The world's not treating me very good right now. Just look around you." But I said, "Jesus is treating me great." Amen. Amen. I want to say that again. What difference does it make going on with the world? Jesus said we're in the world, but we're not of the world. He said we're in here to be a witness. And so as we have our hearts and our words right with the word of God, a thousand fought my left hand, ten thousand at my right hand, will not come nigh me in Psalms 91. You keep your heart right. You keep your words right. You keep your walking with God and tithing right. You be a tither. But you keep on speaking the word of God. This financial faith confession we do is not just some ritual the church does. That's a matter of life and death for a lot of people financially. Believe in what God says he's going to do. Amen. 
Well, let's make our financial faith confession. And then we'll bring our tithes and offerings up to the altar and put them in the bucket. And just always remember, this is not just like making a deposit at the bank. You're not standing in line at the teller to get to the teller. You're coming up to God's holy altar to talk to Him. So when you come up, just say something nice. Say, thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, you blessed me to be able to bless it back to you. Whatever you want to say, but just make a, make a confession to Him as you come up. But let's say this together now. As we bring the Lord's tithe and give offerings today, we believe we receive jobs or better jobs, promotions, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, growth in business, settlements, estates and inheritance, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, debts paid off, royalties received, blessings and increase. Thank you, Lord, meet all my financial needs, so I have more than enough to take good care of my family, give just in the kingdom of God, promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's all stand if we can. Church of us. And let's sing together. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God.
Lord, listen, you've been faithful. You've been faithful forevermore. You'll be faithful forevermore. You have done great things. And I know you will do it again. For your promise is yes and amen. You will do great things. You do great things. O healer of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh God. You have done great things. Let's sing hallelujah. Hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, God, unshakable. Hallelujah, you have done great things. You've done great things. You've done great things, Lord. Hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, you have done great things. You've done great things. Oh, healer of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh, Jesus. Our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great things. One more time, hallelujah. Hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, God, unshakable. Hallelujah, you have done great things. the grave you free every captive and break every chain oh god you have done great things we dance in your freedom awake and alive oh jesus our savior your name lifted high oh god you have done great things you have done great God, you do great
that's our hearts cry today we just want to be where you are father we just want to be close to you we just want to stick as close to you as we possibly can and lord we declare that you are holy we boldly say that today you are holy 
Father. You are set apart. There's nobody else in your league. There's nobody else on your status. There's nobody else in the same category as you are. You are holy. You are set apart, Father. And we love you. And we declare that today. We lift up your name. There is nobody like you, God. Nobody can compare to you. Nobody can do the things that you do. Nobody can love like you love. We love you, Father. And we thank you. You are holy, Jesus. We want to be more like you. Make us more like you, Father. In the mighty name of Jesus, we want to be in your presence, Father. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord some praise together this morning. God is good. Amen. It's good to be in the presence of God, to be in the house of God. You can be seated. You know, I'm reminded of something I stumbled across in the Psalms back in around March. And, you know, we're always we're always familiar with Psalm 91 tells us that we need to be in the presence of God, in the shelter of the Most High, the refuge of God. And in so many places in the Word, we're told to stick in the refuge, stick in the shelter, stick close to God. And I'm like, well, that sounds good, but how do we get in the shelter, right? I don't want to be on the outside knocking on the door. And then David told us in the book of Psalms that his presence is his shelter. The closer we are, the more we are in the presence of God, the more we are in the shelter of the Most High. And there may be a storm raging outside, but it's not getting through to the shelter. Can I get an amen today? Amen. Well, God's been good to us. I can't say that enough. And I'm excited today uh, because there's been something burning on my heart. The title of the message today is this, a time such as this. Now, maybe you've heard that phrase used before, and maybe you've read the scripture that I'm getting ready to look at. But I want you to turn to the book of Esther this morning, the book of Esther. This is a fabulous story out of the Bible because I believe there's a lot of connection with us in 2020 to where Esther was way back then. So we're going to be looking at Esther chapter four here in just a second. But just to kind of catch you up on the story, Esther was a young lady, a young Jewish lady, and she was in a real predicament. Uh, her and her cousin Mordecai, he had raised her basically as her father figure. They were Jewish and the Jewish people at this time were being held captive by the Persians. And of course, we, we've seen so many times in world history and in Bible history how the Jewish people, this happened to them quite a bit. They were uh, taken over by the Babylonians, by the Persians, all sorts of different bad situations they were in. But at this time, King Xerxes was the king and he was looking for a new queen because his previous wife had ticked him off. And so he's like, we got to get rid of her and get a new one. You know, so anyway, uh, he, he, he looks for a new queen and he picks Esther. It says because she's so beautiful. She was a beautiful young lady. And so she was picked to be the new queen. Now, there was a really bad guy named Haman. Okay, and Haman was kind of like the the highest official in the kingdom underneath the king. Now, Haman had a lot of issues, you know, too many to go into right now. But one thing is Haman hated the Jewish people and he really hated Mordecai, the man that had raised Esther. And the reason for that was everybody was supposed to bow down every time that Haman walked down the street. You dropped what you were doing. You take a knee. You bow down and, and, and you show respect to this powerful man. And people just did it. No questions asked whether he was good or bad. They just dropped Jews, Persians, everybody. They took a knee and bowed down to Haman. But he would come down the street and Mordecai wouldn't do it. If he was eating a sandwich, he just kept eating his sandwich. 
Gave him a head nod. If he was, you know, playing game of, I don't know, Angry Birds on his phone, whatever you guys play, he, he just, he didn't stop. So every time Haman walked by, he would get more and more angry that this guy would not bow down like everybody else did and show what he thought was respect. Mordecai refused to do it. And so Haman got so angry, he reaches this point. He's like, you know what? We're just going to have to get rid of Mordecai and all of the Jewish people. So he comes up with this wicked plan. He's going to round up all of them on March the 7th of the next year, and they're going to have a mass execution. I mean, talk about a bad thing. He only needs the king's permission. And so he presents this to the king, Xerxes. He's like, there is this group of people in your kingdom. They're non-compliant. We're telling them to do things, and they won't do it. They say it goes against their beliefs. They say that that they can't do this, and, and they're like doing their own thing over there. They are showing disrespect, and they are flat out non-compliant to the things that you're saying, King Xerxes. I, I've got a plan. I'll, and Mordecai, or excuse me, Haman even, he even offered to pay for the whole thing. How wicked is that? So he's like, we're going to round all them up. We're, gonna, we're just going to absolutely annihilate them. I'll even pay for it myself. I mean, what a wicked dude. And so Xerxes is like, hey, you know what? Do what you got to do. I don't really care. Just whatever. And so this game plan is put into place. They're going to wipe out this entire population of people. Uh, no questions asked because they're not complying. They're not going along with. They're not doing everything that King Xerxes says to do. And the king himself doesn't even care. It's just Haman that's mad. And so the, the day is getting closer. People are getting on edge. Some people know what's going on. Others may not know. But it's getting closer and closer. And so Mordecai is communicating via letter with his cousin or more like his daughter figure that's in the palace. Esther chapter 4. Look at verse 13. Esther chapter 4. So she knows what's going on. She's right in there. But she doesn't she doesn't have a voice. Esther chapter 4 verse 13, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Now, that's a powerful phrase, and different translations uh, word that different ways. Some translations say you were brought to the palace. Some say you were made queen. But some say you were born for such a time as this. It looked like the worst moment in their history, but according to the word of God for her, this is the moment you've been born for. You were born for such a time as this. I know it looks like it's all getting ready to end. It looks super bad, he's saying, but it's okay. This is what you were born for. But keep looking here. Verse 15, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and pray and fast and pray for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. Look at this. And even though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, then I must die. Now I'm talking about Esther is a bold young lady. She's got some guts because what she was doing... This was against the law. She was not allowed to just walk, even as the king's wife, even as the queen, she couldn't just roll up into his throne room and say, hey, we need to talk. 
Imagine that. Ladies, you like to talk. Husbands, do you like to hear these words? We need to have a talk. All of you are real quiet, right? I know, all right? Yeah, I get that, okay? I, I respect that. But but right here in this situation, she's not even allowed to roll in and say, we need to talk about something. She's got to get all this permission and stuff, first of all, before she ever even gets in there. She says, this is against the law. What I'm doing isn't allowed, but I've got to make a bigger stand for something right now because God's people are getting ready to be killed. They're getting ready to perish. If I've got to die for all of them, then I must die. So Esther was beautiful, but man, this girl was tough as nails when it came down to it. And so here's the plan. Here's what happens next. Okay. We're kind of in story mode right here, but listen, she's like, okay. So she prepares this, this, this dinner, the, a little feast, uh, a little banquet. And she's like, King, uh, what I need Xerxes husband, dear lovey, I want you and that wonderful friend of yours, Haman, I've prepared a dinner just for the two of you. I want you to come to it. Okay. And so Haman's like, yes, I'm getting even closer to the royal family. So they show up for the dinner and she's like, well, I need you to come to one more. So she throws another dinner party for just Haman and the king and the king's like, okay, what's going on? There's got to be more to it than you just wanting to feed us dinner. What is it that's really on your mind? I'll give you anything you want. You know that. She's like, really? Okay, here's what this is all about. I simply want for you to spare my life and the lives of my people. And she bats her eyes real sweet. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? Who would dare try to touch my wife? And her people. And Haman, I just see him over there in the corner, you know, sipping whatever he's sipping or eating a hot dog or something. And she's like, Haman's the guy. And I just imagine him dropping it right there. What? What? Imagine how awkward that is. She's got the king at boiling point and the guy that thought he had all this together. He didn't realize that she was Jewish also. She said, that man right there has threatened to kill me and all my people, and I want you to do something about it, dear. And he's like, you know what? Fine. Haman, you're going to die. And so they take care of Haman. I'm not going to go into the bloody, gruesome detail. It's in there if you want to read it. It's gruesome. So what they do is they kill Haman on the same instruments that were going to be used to kill Mordecai on. And then the king says, you know what? Mordecai, you can have Haman's old position. It's vacant right now. And you can have all of his possessions. Go take his house and everything else. But what I'm talking about is this. When God's people stand up at the right time, there's blessing involved, right? And, 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 and she was born for a time such as that. And I'm telling you right now, some people are hanging their heads low and, man, why did I have to be born right now? Why couldn't I have been born back then? What I'm telling you is, you were born for such a time as this. It's not an accident that you're alive right now. God knew what he was doing. David said it this way, before a single day had passed, you had every moment of my life already planned. God planned for you to be here right now, and God has an assignment for you to do. Can somebody say amen today? There's a purpose that you're here right now and that you weren't born a hundred years ago, 50 years ago, or whenever you were born. There's a purpose that you are alive and on the earth right now, and you will never know what that is if you back down now and you don't take a stand for the kingdom of God. And that's the absolute truth. So what I want to do here is I want to open in prayer, and I'm going to dig into two quick points about the importance of your time on earth right now. 
Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for the people gathered here today, God, for anybody that's joining us. And Lord, I say in Jesus' name that as we open your word, as we study what you have for us, God, that you're going to bless us, Lord. You're going to speak to us. You're going to encourage us. You're going to correct us if we need corrected. You're going to show us what we need to see so we can be the absolute strongest end times army of God that has ever been imagined, Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. So why were we born for such a time as this? Number one, to stand. Number one, to stand. And that's what Esther had to do. It came down to the wire. And if she didn't take a stand, then something bad was going to really happen. Something that, that none of them even wanted to imagine happening. And all throughout crucial moments in history, God's people have had the opportunity to stand up for what's right. Or roll over and play dead and well, we'll just, well, let's just pretend this isn't happening. Let's cover our eyes. Let's, let's look the other way. But God's people always have an opportunity to stand for what's right and to do the right thing. And of course, you know, God's given us free will. You can always just stick your head in the sand and, and, uh, pretend like nothing, try to hide from the problems, but that's not the way of God. Esther could have said, you know what? It's every man for himself. I'm sorry. I feel bad for them. I'm up here in the palace, so this isn't really going to touch me anyway. I'm just going to, you know, best of luck, guys. I'll say a prayer, but you're on your own. That's not what she did because she knew Mordecai was right when he said, don't you think that just because you're in the palace that it's not ever going to catch up to you? It's going to catch up to you someday if you don't take a stand right now. This is your moment, Esther. You have got to do something. It'll catch up to you eventually. And she knew that he was right. She knew that what he was saying was the truth, whether it was uncomfortable, whether she wanted to hear it or not. And she did the right thing. She said, you know what? I am going to take a stand. If I got to die, then I got to die. But you know what? At least I'm not going to die a coward. At least I'm not going to die and let all the rest of these Jewish people perish because of my weakness. I'm going to stand up and do the right thing no matter how comfortable it is. And I got to tell you, there's an old saying, but it's the absolute truth. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I know some people, they don't stand for anything. Well, I just, I don't know, man. I mean, I don't, blah, 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 blah. There has got to be something that you stand for. And I'm especially talking about spiritually. There's lots of other great things to take a stand for, save the planet, save it. That's all wonderful, nice things. But spiritually speaking, especially, there has got to be some sort of standard that you have where you say enough is enough. I'm not going to give that up anymore. I'm not going to. Enough is enough. You have got to stand up for what you believe in, especially biblically and spiritually speaking, because people that don't stand for anything, they'll fall for it. They'll fall for anything. And that is not the end times army. That is not the family of God, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, whatever you want to call it, that Jesus is coming back for. I believe that he's coming back for a strong 
family. A strong, not us hiding in the cower, hiding in caves, looking for some way to escape. I'm not looking to escape. I'm looking to dominate and do what God's called me to do in this end times. And I'm not going to do a hiding. I'm going to do everything that Jesus told me to do. And you're going to do the same thing because I'm saying, Jesus, I've always been able to count on you. You can count on me right now. I'm there for you and I'm not backing down. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. You're thinking, man, I came on Labor Day weekend and everything, and you got to hit us with this stuff. No, listen, it's time for the family of God, the people of God, to rise up, amen, and stand, stand for it. Ephesians 6, this is talking about some spiritual warfare. And one thing that we have to recognize, we've said it a million times, you've heard this. We are not fighting against people. Well, I I am. Well, that's why you keep losing. You were never promised victory in the physical realm of arguing and fighting and debating and, and, and just always looking to fight other people. That's an intellectual battle. I wasn't promised victory in the intellectual realm necessarily, but I was promised victory in the spiritual realm. Everything that we see, problems on your job, problems in your family, problems in your country, problems in yourself. Listen, there is a root to all of it. Sometimes we're just trying to try down the fruit everywhere. Oh, well, this keeps happening over here. You've got to get to the root cause of the problem. And the root of all evil is the devil. All of it. But we're busy fighting all these, trying to put out all these wildfires. The root cause is Satan. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is the enemy, the liar, and the father of lies. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, it says, put on all of God's armor. How much of it? Man, I don't want to just run into battle with my helmet on. I want every piece of it on. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to do what? Stand. What are we talking about? We're talking about taking a stand right now. You cannot take the right stand without the armor of God. So put on all of God's armor so you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the people that you don't like. Against all strategy, no, against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not fighting people. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. All the things I just named right there are different demonic forces, different levels of demons that exist in this world, in this atmosphere, that are trying to fight against you, come against you, destroy you, divide you, and absolutely annihilate you. And yet we're trying to fight people That is not what's going on. And I can say there's not a person in this world that I hate. There's not a person in this world that I care to fight against. I don't care to fight the governor. I don't care to fight the president. I don't care to fight my neighbor. I'm in this to beat the devil. Amen? And that's what we're talking about right here. And so, so many people are fighting against other people people but that's not the issue the issue is satan and if we're going to take a stand it's going to have to be in this realm and everything else is just a sideshow a distraction and if satan can get you focused over here he's coming right in the back door and he's robbing you blind something to think about amen and so 
Verse 11 right there says to put on all the armor so we can stand. And not just stand flimsy, but stand firm. So we can stand firm. And, and, and notice, I mean, think about all the, all the, uh, the, 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 the distractions, all the things going on in our world right now. And, and all of that is to get you to quit standing. Satan's goal right now, if he could come, he knows that his time is short. Revelation told us that he knows he's got, he had about this much time. And when the book of Revelation was written, now he has about this much time and he knows it's getting shorter and shorter. I've got a few days left. If I, if there's one thing he wants to do, he wants to attack the church of Jesus Christ. And, and there's two, two big things that he would love to do. He would like to divide the church of Jesus Christ right now, divide us. I mean, anything he can use, politics, race, money, geography, whatever, anything he could do to divide the church right before Jesus comes back, that's exactly what he wants. You know, something else he wants, he would love to shut church doors down right now, right before Jesus comes back, and just shut things down, because we're the light of the world. Christians, Jesus said, Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. And who knows that we need some light in this world right now. Anything that he can do. You know, it said, who would, who would light a lamp? Who would plug in a lamp and put a basket over it, Jesus said. I mean, imagine that. You get home, you know, at nighttime or whatever from work. The house is dark. You come in. You turn on the lamp and like, where's that basket? Ah, you put the basket over it. There we go. Well, why'd you even turn the lamp on in the first place? Right? And that's how silly it is. How bizarre it is for a Christian to, to come to Jesus, to totally surrender their life, and then want to hide it from everybody. I mean, I am a Christian, I just don't really want everybody to know. Why even light the lamp if you're just going to cover it up and not let that light shine? Let your light shine for all men to see, and then they will glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen? And so, we're talking about taking a stand for what's right in 2020, and I'm especially referring to spiritual things, talking about the church standing up. And so here's just a little bit of info I shared a few weeks ago to show you the importance of Christians doing their job right now. Christians have got to stand up and be the light right now. But as of July, throughout the whole shutdown, obviously domestic violence is up by as much as 130% in some areas. Families without the peace of God just beating the tar out of each other. 130%. That's wicked. That's awful. That's ungodly. Suicide rates have skyrocketed. I'm not making this stuff up. Look it up. Since all this began, Satan is using this time, especially when, when, when the churches are not firing on all cylinders, whatever you want to say, but especially right now, domestic violence is up. Suicide rates are up. It's awful. Drug overdoses as high as 42% are up. But listen to this. Doctors, and I, I read this a few weeks ago, but doctors at John Muir Medical Center in Walnut Creek, California, say they've seen more deaths by suicide during the quarantine than from the COVID-19 virus. That's uh, ABC News said that. So if you trust them, I'm not making this up. We're getting some bizarre third string news source. ABC News interviewed these doctors. They said, we've seen more suicide deaths than COVID deaths. 
Why? People's minds are going crazy and the devil's having a heyday absolutely ransacking people's lives right now. It's an awful thing to even think about. And this one doctor, Dr. Mike Dubois Bank said, we've never seen suicide numbers like this in such a short period of time. We've seen a year's worth of suicide attempts in the last four weeks in July than we normally see in an entire year. I'm like, my gosh, you think the devil's not sitting in the background just rubbing his hands? Oh, man, this is awesome. Right before my time is up, I got people killing themselves, beating their wives to pieces, kids running away, being sold into trafficking. I've got people divided and fighting everywhere. And there's some, some, and, and so much of the body of, of, of God's army is just absolutely off to the sidelines, not doing anything about it. This is exactly what I dreamed of. Imagine that. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such blemish. I'm coming back for a strong body, a strong army that are willing to fight. And they're like, Esther, if I must die, then I must die. But I'm not going down a coward. I am going to declare the works of the Lord. Amen. God is on our side and we are on his side. Amen. And so Satan can try his best, but his best is never enough. And I pray that he has to say, just like the the, the, the naval marshal of the Japanese army after Pearl Harbor, he said, uh-oh, we've awakened a sleeping giant. We should have never messed with them. We're going to pay now. And, you know, you know world history, but pay they did. And so I believe Satan's been poking and trying to pull one over on the church of Jesus. And he's going to say, oh, man, I should have left him alone. I've awakened a sleeping giant. Now they're really mad. Now they're really going to start practicing what they've preached all these years. My time is short. But I'm telling you now, this is our moment. We will not back down. The second thing I'm going to say is this. Number one, why were we born for a time such as this? Number one, to take a stand. Number two, to deliver. To deliver. Now I'm saying that word in a, in a twofold sense. Number one, I'm saying it as to deliver people from the kingdom of darkness. But I'm also saying it in the sense on that we are to deliver everything that Jesus told us to do. We're going to deliver on. Amen. I like the old basketball player, Carl Malone. They call him the mailman. He's like, he always delivers. He always comes through. And that's us right now, the body of Christ, the people of God. In the name of Jesus, I declare, at least at High Desert Word Center, we always deliver on what God told us to do. He told us to deliver peace into somebody's life. We're going to deliver. He told us to deliver some deliverance to somebody that's bound by the devil. We're going to show up and we're going to deliver. We're going to do everything thing that he called us to do and we will not back down in the name of Jesus. Can somebody say amen? So Esther's obedience brought deliverance to the people of Israel and she took what looked like the biggest risk of her life. People are like, that's risky. That's, that's, what are you doing? But I'm telling you right now, it's a lot more of a risk to not obey God. Some of the stuff you may be called to do in the end times may seem really, really risky, but I'm telling you right now, mark my words, it's a lot more of a risk to not obey God. God may call you to go places that you never even thought you would go. He may call you to say things and do things and be things that you never thought. I would never do that. It's a lot more of a risk to disobey than it is to obey. 
obey God. The risk is so much greater. And so I want you to say this with me. I'm going to deliver for Jesus. I'm going to deliver for Jesus. Say, I mean, that was cute, but I didn't feel that. I want to feel it up here. Come on. Say, I'm going to deliver for Jesus. Amen. What he told me to do, I am going to do. I want you to look at Psalm chapter 50. Psalm 50. Amen. Who's glad they're at church today? I'm glad. I love hearing the word of God, preaching the word of God, receiving the word of God. Psalm 50, verse 14. Now, here in a few minutes, we're going to receive communion together. It is the first Sunday of the month, and we'll wind down with that here in just a minute. But Psalm 50, verses 14 through 15, I need you to see this. It says, offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. And that's talking about keep your vows, keep your word to God. You told God you'd do something, you need to do it. Amen. And some people, uh, they, they don't. You know, they don't keep their word very well. And that's one thing to do it to other people. But if you made a vow and a promise and a commitment to God, you best keep that commitment to God. And so pay to the most high the vows that you made. But verse four or verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will what? There's that word. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. And so God will deliver his people in the day of trouble And when he delivers you, when he does come through for us, like we've been telling everybody he's going to do, it's going to bring glory to God. And when he, listen, when he delivers, it brings glory to him. They're saying, how did she make it out of that? And she's going to say, God brought me out of that. I told you he was going to do it. Man, I better get it together. I need to be on the same page as you are with God. But look at this. Look at this. This is very important for you to see in verse 15. It says to call upon me. The person in distress is responsible for calling out to God. When you're in a bad situation, you are responsible for calling out to God. And with all of that, I'm bringing it in right here. Here's the whole point. Follow me on this. Look at Romans chapter 10. We're bringing it in to the New Testament here. And we're going to take communion in just a minute. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. So he says, I want to deliver you, but you got to call upon me. And so you're in this room and you're like, I've done, got it. I already did that. I called upon the name of the Lord. And I believe that you have called upon the name of the Lord. But what if it's not only about you? What if your end times calling isn't to only make sure that you're safe in your little household? But what if God has at least called you to something a little bit bigger? And that's to take care of more people and bring more people into the kingdom of God before Jesus appears in the sky and we hear a trumpet and we get sucked out of here and they're left on their own. Think about that. The lukewarm Christian or the mediocre Christian, they are only caring about what they can do to make it through all of this, them and their family. And hey, that's you got to take care of you and your family, no doubt about it. But what if Christianity began where we started saying, you know what, I want to take care of me and my family, but I know a lot of other people that they are not okay right now. I've got to do something about that. And so Psalm 50 told us, well, hey man, call upon God. He will deliver you. But look at this, Romans 10 verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The church should say amen to that today because you've done it. But let's get a little bit further. Verse 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? You know, there's not a lot of people calling on God that don't believe in him. 
People that don't believe in God, they don't call on God. They try to get good vibes. They go and stack rocks. They do something, but they don't call on God. And so how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never even heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Now we're talking about you. Now we're talking about me. We're saying, man, the world needs to just call on God right now. They need to call on. How are they going to call on him if they don't believe in him? How are they going to believe in him if they've never even heard of him? And how are they going to hear about Jesus if nobody tells them right now? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. And you may be thinking, well, no one's ever said that about me. When you start bringing the good news, it's going to make some people angry because all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you don't ever get any flag for your beliefs, then something is pretty wrong. Well, I hate persecution. I don't, I'm not wanting that. But obviously, if you don't stand for anything at all, no one's ever going to mess with you. That's fine. But when you take a stand for Jesus, it's going to take Satan off. And he will work through unsubmitted people to say things about you, to try to shut you down, to try to shut churches down and people of faith down and everything else. But listen, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We already know that, and we're willing to do that because Jesus was willing to suffer for us a little bit. I'm willing to take one for the team. But there will be a group of people, when you take a stand, they'll say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I was on my la- I was at the end of my rope, and you showed up, and you brought me Jesus, and I received him, and here I am going to heaven with you. This is a beautiful thing. And so, learning from Esther, I will tell you this, there's no mistake that you're alive right now. You were born for a time such as this one right here, and you were born for this time to take a stand for Jesus and to deliver what God has put on your heart and what God has told you to do and to deliver people from the kingdom of darkness. I'm just going to quote one more verse. You can throw this on the screen, but I've been saying this and I believe it's for us right now. Joshua 3 verse 5. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. God is this close to doing something real big. You've got to be ready or you will not be involved in it. He said, sanctify yourself, purify yourself, get holy, set yourself apart from everybody else. Well, they're all doing this. That's fine. That's them. But I've called you to do this right here. Sanctify yourselves. Get ready for tomorrow. The Lord will do great wonders among you. Be ready for a move of God. Can I say that? Be ready for a move of God like you've never even dreamed of getting ready to take place right now because light shines brightest in the darkest places. Man, I slept in a cave one night a long time ago as a teenager. We were, we were doing some stuff, but uh, good stuff. We, but we stayed down in this cave. We crawled like 50 feet down to the ground, stayed the night in this cave in Indiana. It was the darkest thing. I mean, you could not see... You could hold your hand right here for a whole hour and your hand didn't become any more visible. The most pure darkness you could ever imagine in your life. But one person lighting that, lighting a match, that whole place illuminated and lit up like, it felt like noonday in the middle of this. I'm telling you right now, you let your light shine right now and people that used to reject you, people that used to say, I don't want to hear that, 
your light is going to be so bright with the glory of God in this season that you're going to see miracles happen and the Lord will do great wonders among you. Can we get an amen today? Amen. Let's stand up together. And I'm going to have Josh come up and kind of lead us in the song. I'm going to say uh, goodbye to our internet audience there. We love you. Thanks for joining us. You guys are incredible and we love you. We'll see you Wednesday. But what we're going to